Matthew 16, verse 13. So Jesus here, as he has been sharing with the Jews, they are not listening. And by majority, they are not believing. The religious leaders are clearly not believing. In fact, they continue to come to Jesus and they continue to um, question him. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Because they want to see signs? No, because they're waiting for some place where he'll trip up so they can go, aha, see, you're not the real person. And Jesus knows their heart. Last week, we were reading, Jesus was telling his disciples, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the scribes and the Pharisees. And what did that mean? Or the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What did that mean? Be careful. Are they baking bread? Nope. Just like yeast, it takes a little bit into, a, into some dough and it can cause it to rise. And they're saying, be careful what those Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, because a little bit of that influence can affect your whole life. Last week, we even asked this question. Here's the question. Where did you get that from? That was the question. Where did you get what from? Whatever you believe in your life. Where do you get that from? It came from someplace. It came from someplace. And where a thought or a position that you hold to in your life came from, I think is critical. Consider the person who shared that with you. Consider where their life is today. Consider if what they said is true. There are people that I've looked up to in my life that I really admired, but what they've told me was wrong. Don't get so enamored by sinful fallen people of which all of us are that we end up taking the advice of a very short-lived sinful human being as opposed to the eternal and true living God. This is why knowing the word of God is so important because God won't lead us in the wrong direction. So Matthew 16 verse 13 We come to uh, another location. This is in northern Israel. It's a place called Caesarea Philippi. Let's pray and we'll jump right into verse 13 of Matthew 16. Papa, as we come before you, your word is open. We We love you and we thank you that you tell us the truth. As we look at this passage of scripture, we pray that you would give it understanding to our ears and also that we would hear your voice speaking to us. I pray that we would hear you speak into our life about a situation in our life and your role in that situation. We want to make sure you have the right role in our life. So make your word clear, we pray. Holy Spirit, empower me for the work of the ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So this passage of scripture is located, this story, this event is located in two other sections of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 9. So, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 8, Luke chapter 9. Mark and Luke also record Jesus asking this question. Important thing to realize God knows everything. Why does, he, why does he ask any questions? Did Jesus really wonder what people thought about him? Did he not know what people thought about him? Of course he knew what people thought about him. He's not asking the question for his benefit. He's asking the question for their benefit. And as we're reading the word today, he's asking the question for our benefit too. So here's Jesus saying, hey, who do people outside the walls here of this church 
out there in the community, in our country, in the world, who do people say Jesus is? And now they answered Jesus and said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We could probably answer Jesus and go, well, you know, I mean, there are some religions that believe that Jesus, you're not God, but that you're Michael the archangel. Uh, There's some that believe that you're just a really good guy. There's some that believe, Jesus, that um, you're a wise man. That's what some people say. And that's true. This world has lots of perspectives on Jesus. And I told you last week, don't just leave it at, hey, do you believe in God? Bring up the name of Jesus and watch how people respond. But look at what Jesus does. He makes it a question about what everybody else thinks. And then look at this, verse 15. He says to them, who but who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus takes it into a personal level. Okay, that's what everybody else says. But now you personally, who's he talking to? The disciples? Yes, but here we are in 2019 in Arcata, California. He's actually asking me and he's asking you this question. But who do you say that I am? Your eternity is determined upon the answer of that question. Who do you say Jesus is? You know... If you want to take like this, you know, poll, you can take a poll of people and be like, hey, let's do a popularity poll. We are in full blown election season, right? It's just, it's all happening now. So you're going to see opinion polls. You're going to hear about debates happening. You're going to hear about people trying to, you know, they got to get a good soundbite in so that it'll play on the news the next morning or, you know, the next, in the next couple hours. And that all you'll see is the soundbite because most people can't be bothered by actually listening to an entire debate. See, we live in a society that is so built upon what other people think. Christian, don't you dare fall into that trap of what other people think. There's only one person that actually matters as to what they think, and that's God himself. But we live in a world like their world that's like, what do other people think? What do they say? Who do they say? You know, there's some people that get their spiritual knowledge by what other people think. I heard it said once that... I saw this YouTube video where this guy said, man, there was this one TED talk where I stop. Who do you say Jesus is? And why do you say that? Well, because that's not an answer. Why do you believe what you believe? So the crowd can have an opinion, but it's always going to come down to a personal decision. And you know, of these disciples here, Who is the one that's going to speak first, right? Love it. Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us the pacing of this conversation. So we don't know like how much time was between verse 15 and 16. I don't think there was. And knowing Simon Peter, you know, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Like I could see Simon right there. Like Peter's like, right on the heels of his question. Peter is a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, which at times can lead you to be really bold in the wrong direction and really strong incorrectly. But you know what? Sometimes you're exactly right. And Peter bullseye, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's an interesting grouping of words there, Christ and son of the living God. But Christ, the very first thing, Christ, maybe for you, when you hear Christ, it's as a curse word. 
It's as somebody, you know, just saying Jesus Christ, but they're not saying it like Jesus Christ. They're saying it because of something that's gone wrong. They use the one name by which a person can be saved as a curse word or a word that's derogatory. Nobody's asking Buddha to damn anything. Or Muhammad. Just Jesus. Just God. Hmm. So he says Christ. Is there something more than that? Can we just go on? It's just a very simple answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What does Christ mean? You know, we, we may say it and go, well, that's, okay. here's some Christ. That's Jesus's last name. Mr. Christ. Jesus Christ. No, it's not. It's not a name. It's like a title. It's like a, um, it's a descriptor of who he is. He's a king, amongst other things. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. Okay, but what's Christ? It gets used so often. Do people even know what the word Christ is? Let's look at the origin of the word Christ that we use today, right? So check this out. So Christ, what it means is anointed one. That's what Christ means. That's, the, that's what Christ means. When people go, Jesus Christ, they're saying, they don't realize it, Jesus is the anointed one. <laughs> like people don't know. People don't know what they say. The anointed one. From the Hebrew, the word for anointed one is Messiah. We, we Anglicanize it and make it Messiah, but Hebrew, we would, we would see the word Messiah. When we see the word Messiah, we can sing Jesus Messiah all we want, but do you know what it means? It means Jesus anointed one. Okay. So then the Greeks, when they translated from Hebrew to Greek, the word Messiah was translated to Christos. And then when it was written in Latin or spoken in Latin, Christus, Old English, Christ without the H, which is where we get our Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T. But it means the anointed one. Okay, so we sing songs about Jesus Christ. We talked about Christ on the cross. We're saying the anointed one on the cross. It's so important for us as Christians to understand what the words we use mean. We use them, we use this so often. It means he's the anointed one. All right, well, there we go, anointed one. So that solves the problem now. Now we know that Peter, a fisherman, said, you are the anointed one. What do you know about the word anointed? I mean, is that a word that you use in your day-to-day life? What are you doing today? Oh, got anointed today. That was good. It's a good day. You know, there's an anointing that happening. It's not really, it's, it's a, can we agree? It's kind of like a churchy word, right? Anointed. It's not a word that you hear much outside the walls of this church. There was a time in my life, I was probably in my 20s, I was just starting to, I was volunteering at um, Calvary Chapel of Prescott, Arizona. It's where I was saved, where I went to college, not at the church, but at that town, and then I started attending the church. And I was volunteering there, I graduated, and then I'm just like full-time, like working in the world and volunteering at church. And I'm loving it, serving in junior high ministry, it's just great. So I'm there in the office, and one of the secretaries says, hey, Jim, yeah, hey, listen, there's a couple that's coming in and uh, he just found out that he's got cancer. He's really overwhelmed and him and his wife are going to be coming in and they would just like uh, some prayer 
and uh, then they're going to get the, uh, the doctor telling them what needs to be done next and how they're going to deal with the cancer, but it looks like it's pretty advanced. Okay, I'm like, well, I'm like, no problem. Why no problem? Because there's like five pastors at the church there, right? And I'm not one of them. I'm just a guy that's, I'm just a college graduate who volunteers at the church. I teach junior high class from time to time and I can do some tech stuff for you. Like that's, that's what I'm here for. And she's like, yeah, they're coming in right now. I was like, that's great. So she's like, none of the pastors are here. Huh? What? What's, what? It's funny. You sound like you said there's no pastors here. It's like, and I'm thinking, that's fine. I can pray with someone. It's not a problem. She goes, yeah, um, they would like to be anointed with oil as well. And I was like, you know, it's that moment where you give the blank stare and you want people to think like, like you're really thinking deep, but inside you're like, what does that mean? And so you're like, and so I, what did I say? Sure. Sounds great. Great. So now I'm in prayer mode. My prayer at this point is, okay, Lord, please let a pastor, just one show up in the next few minutes before this couple comes in and this man who's going to die of cancer. And I'm just like, oh man. So they show up and I'm there and I was like, hi, hi. And you know, they, you know, their names told to me, you know, this is Bob. I'm like, hi. And this is Lenny, his wife. And I was like, all right, great. Okay. I'm like, all right, it's Bob and Lenny. Great. Okay. So then I'm like, all right, well, um, and I'm just like delay, full-blown delaying tactics at this point. I said, why don't you come over here and um, grab a seat on this comfy couch right here. Perfect. In the, in the lobby area. I said, there you go. Okay, great. And I said, uh, I'll be right back. I, I was in the middle of something. I'll be right back. I'm just like walking to the other side of the campus just so that I could be like, come on, somebody just show up, please. Five minutes later, I come back. And like, again, how thoughtless of me. I totally agree. Thoughtless of me. This guy's dying of cancer. And I don't know what anointing means. So then I show back up and I'm like, oh, no pastors here yet? No problem. Hey, why don't you come on here into this office? So I come into the office and I go, well, we're going to um, pray for you and anoint you now. And so then I was like, I'll be right back with the anointing stuff. And so I leave. <laughs> so bad. So then I leave and I'm in the kitchen because I'm, I'm like looking for the oil. I'm like, I know that we usually have it in the sanctuary. So I go to the, the sanctuary, different building. I'm looking for the oil. I can't find it, right? And I'm like, I know it's special because it came from like Israel. So it's like probably made of olives and something like amazing. So I'm like, that's the oil that I'm going to be looking for. And then I was like, I should probably look up some verses on what it means to anoint somebody with oil. So I go to my handy concordance in the back of the Bible. I'm like, oil, oil, oil. So it takes me to a verse in Psalms where it talks about like oil running down the beard of this guy named Aaron. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that doesn't help. Like I need like step one, pray. Step two, say these, like I, I I'm relatively new to being a Christian. I don't know what the word anointed means. And this couple wants to be anointed. So then I, I, so I end up in the kitchen because I'm like, that's the only other place. There was the shed, but I was like motor oil and stuff. And I was like, that's probably not going to work. So then I go to the kitchen and I'm like, Crisco or Wesson? I don't know. We're just going to go with Crisco here. So we grabbed it. And so I show up in the office with this boom container. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to anoint you with oil. I put this container like Crisco on a desk. And so we're like, okay, um, well, let's pray. And I'm just like, please, can somebody please show up any moment now? God, please would be great. Nobody shows up. So I'm like, let's pray. Started to pray for them. And I'm just like, Father, I just, just want to pray for this couple. And like their names totally blanked out. Like I couldn't remember Bob. I couldn't remember Lenny at this point. So I'm just not, not generic. Lord, I pray for your children. 
And I pray for them and God for what we're praying about and the anointing for them to be, for him to be anointed. Amen. And I said, now we're going to anoint you. And so I, I then grabbed the oil. And the thing is, it's, the problem is it's this large container of oil, right? So I'm unscrewing this and I'm like, okay, so I'm shake. I kind of got a little bit of the shakes going on here. And I'm like, so I'm getting it. And it's like barely there. And then it decides like gravity shifts in that room and it just like comes out. And I'm like, whoa. And it like fills up my hand. And so then I'm like, and then I'm watching it and I was like, okay, it's, it's time for us to pray now. Let's, let's make sure that we should pray one more time. And I'm just like watching the oil, like start to seep through my fingers. I'm like, and so we're just praying again. And as I'm praying, like I, we haven't done any anointing yet. Right. So I'm just holding this like, you know, thing of oil in my hand now, put the bottle down and I'm like, God, I just want to pray. And their name clicks back in my mind. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm like, God, we just pray for Bob. Heal Bob of cancer. We're going to anoint Bob. We pray you do what you do with oil, God. And you just, yes. And I, and I hear like, and I kind of like open my eye and it's the wife. And she's like, his name is Len. My name is Bobby. And I'm all, "Mm, mm. God, I thank you that you know our names when we don't even know our names. But the thing is, they knew their names. I didn't know their names. But so the prayers, I'm just like, the prayer's botched. I'm holding like a pint of oil in my hand. And I'm just going, mm. And I was like, all right, well, now we're going to anoint you. So then I grab, I don't know what to do with this now. So, like, how do you, what do you do, right? So I just was like, like just full blown. I hit him with it. Mm. And it like, I saw it like go, like it just like hit and went. And then I like pulled my hand away and the oil is starting to come down his head and it's hitting his eyebrows and pooling. And I'm like, this guy's going to get oil in his eyes. So then I was just like, I put my hand back on his head and now I'm praying again, like the third prayer, Lord, this oil, use it, God. And I can just feel my hand is keeping it from dropping into his eyes, but it's coming down my arm and dripping off my elbow onto the carpet in some pastor's office. At this point, I'm praying, Lord, let no one ever show up and ever see what's happening right now. And at that moment, as my eyes are closed, the door opens, closes, and I hear, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm like, hmm. And so I'm just praying, and I'm just like, amen, right? I put my hand away. The guy's face is glistening with oil. And all I looked over, I looked over at the assistant pastor, his name was Skip, and he was just like, like he was just like, I'm just, so then, so then he's smiling. She's like, every, like the mood changed. So then they leave and the pastor closes the door and he just starts breaking out laughing. And I'm just like, he's like, what was that? More oil, more healing? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I've never anointed. I don't even know if I did the right thing. Like there's oil everywhere in his office. What does anointing mean to you? Like I was hit with the word anointing and I didn't know. Now, real quick, how that story ended. He goes to the hospital. They look, doctor's ready to, he's like, we looked over, we, let's, we want to do some, we want to, you know, do another x-ray and take, take some more tests. And they did, had him wait there. And when they got the results back, they're like, you know what? You actually don't have cancer. Like there isn't any cancer. Amen, right? Hallelujah, absolutely. Now, let, let's look back here. Was it the brand of oil that healed him? 
No. Was it the amount of oil that healed him? No. Was it the person and his deep knowledge of anointing that healed him? No. Was it God that healed that man? Yes. I think sometimes we focus on all the wrong things. I'm inadequate. I don't know. God doesn't care about you knowing. Just show up. Seriously, just show up. I'm going to make a fool of myself. That's part of being a believer. You're going to make a fool of yourself from time to time. If you're so deathly afraid of making a fool of yourself, you're never going to walk forward with the Lord. I really appreciate Peter because, yeah, he does open his mouth sometimes before he's thought about it. But man, his heart's there, right? His heart, he loves the Lord. Maybe you just play it so safe. You're so afraid. Don't want to like do anything wrong. You're a sinner. You're imperfect. You're going to do stuff wrong. But if you're always afraid about doing something wrong, you may never do anything in your life for the Lord. God understands that you'll make mistakes. He understands what he's got to work with. He has very little to work with. He has me and you to work with. He has very little to work with, but he's God. So he can do amazing things through very little. You know, this, what does anointing mean? Anointing and for Peter, fisherman, to say of all things, you're the Christ. He could have said lots of things. You're God supreme. You're the, he said anointed. Why did he say anointed? Because to say somebody's anointing, it means that they are of the highest rank. It means that they themselves, the anointed one, the Messiah, you don't have to answer to any human being. Yeah. Am I anointed like Jesus? No way. I answer to people. I answer to the Lord. But this idea of Jesus going, you are God. You are the anointed one. Now, in their society too, who would be the people that would be anointed in their society? Here's a list of three people that would be anointed. Prophets were anointed. Priests were anointed. Kings were anointed. In other words, it's kind of this declaration. It's this acknowledgement and this praying of God's power to come upon a person that they would be anointed by God for prophets as they spoke the word of God. In the Old Testament, we didn't have the word of God written yet. So God spoke through the prophets, his word. Priests, they were the link between the people and God. They were the intercessor, the go-between. And then kings, the ones that were called to lead the people politically and as they dealt with the outside world. Now, the interesting thing about this, you know why Peter, like Peter, like he's got it. He totally got it. Because when he said Jesus was the anointed one, Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king. Jesus is all three of those. When, when, I mean, it's so, um, it's so complete what Peter said about Jesus. When he said, you're the Christ, you are the anointed one. You're the anointed prophet. You're the anointed priest. You're the anointed king. You are the holy one of God. And now Jesus has said a lot of things to Peter. Just in the last chapter, you know, he, Peter was sinking in the water and Jesus was like, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, he kind of got him. He's holding him close. But look what Jesus says. Look at verse 17 in your Bibles in Matthew 16. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, which is son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, bullseye, you nailed it. Who do people say that I am? They say a lot of things. Who do you say that I am? He asked the disciples. Peter right away says it. And Jesus says, you got it. And then Jesus says, you know what? That truth about who I am, that wasn't revealed by people. That was revealed by God himself to you. 
You know what's great is God can reveal things about who he is to you, directly to you. He can speak to your heart in such a way where you're like, I'm not even sure where I got that from. I'm not sure. I think the Lord just kind of spoke that to me. I think he gave me that confidence and he spoke that truth into my life. It lines up with his word. Well, did Jesus here ever say that he was the Christ or did other people say that Jesus was the Christ? Was it just Peter, this one fisherman that said it? No, others did too. Jesus, before he raised a man named Lazarus, was speaking to Lazarus' sister, one of his sisters named Martha. This is in John chapter 11, verse 25. And Jesus said to her, that's Martha, comforting her, talking about her brother that's dead and he's going to raise back to life. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Personal question, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that, look at this, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God who is coming into the world. Martha also knew that Jesus was the prophet, the priest, the king, the one from God. We see this later on in the trials. The high priest has Jesus and starts to ask Jesus questions. Jesus doesn't answer him, but then there's a certain point where Jesus chooses to answer him. Mark chapter 14, verse 60 through 64. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that men testify against you? Verse 61, but he remained silent. Jesus did and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, look at this. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? So even the high priest is like, are you the anointed one? Are you that person? And look what Jesus says here. Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. He's like, yep, you said it. I am. And you will see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And did the high priest understand exactly what Jesus said? Yes, he did. How do we know? Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. In other words, he's saying that he's God. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Jesus was condemned to death because he told them the truth. I am the anointed one. Now, remember I told you this happened in a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is not Jewish country. This is like on the northern border of Israel. Jesus is in Israel. He's in the, the land, but he's at the borders. And there's a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews that are living in this area, which means they bring their pagan cultures and their, their, their pagan gods as well. And Jesus, as he's sharing in this place, Caesarea Philippi, he starts speaking these words that we've just read. Verse 18, Jesus is going to continue to talk to Peter. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This place, Caesarea Philippi, had a, the, just a blessing to go there to Israel and be in this location. It was about 20 years ago. And I was looking through a photo album real quick, see if I could get some photos. And I think we have a few of them here. So it's this rocky, yeah, this is rocky. Somebody ended up taking a photo of me, but it's this rocky location. So you have to like picture some of these things. Like if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, it takes the Bible. And I heard it said that it takes the Bible from black and white and makes it into color. Because when you read about locations or you read things, you, you remember places. I remember being right there, standing right there, and just looking at this place. And this picture, it's hard to see what's going on, but we'll see a few more in just a moment. But it's a very rocky area. In fact, there's a prominent rock that's in this area of Caesarea Philippi. 
Jesus was in that location. This picture right here is part of the group that came. That's my senior pastor, Pastor Al. And there's a huge opening that's right behind him that drops down. That the locals, and you can see it right there, that the locals would say that is a gate to Hades. It's a place where demons would come out of. It's a place where there's dark spiritual things. And then they would have these grottos or niches. You see them carved out in the stone? They're all through there. They're like these little like archways. And they're, what they would do is they would put their pagan gods in these little niches. If we can go to the picture just before this one here. See them like they're there and there and there and there. And some of them have worn away because of erosion over time. And they would come and they would worship their false gods there. Jesus is standing in this area here as he's talking to Peter. Who do men say that I am? And you know where he's standing? He's standing where people are worshiping pagan gods. And as Jesus is going, hey, who do do men say that I am? Oh, well, Elijah or one of the prophets or somebody else or what anybody back there thinks, right? And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter answers. And then in verse 18, we read it, but please look at it again. Considering this location... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some have read this passage here, and they've come up with this idea that Peter is the person that God is going to build his church upon. But there's a couple things. Jesus wasn't speaking English when he spoke this to Peter. And so there's some distinctions in the word. Peter's word, his, uh, Peter's word, Peter's name, Peter, it means stone. That's what his name means. But it's Petros, it's stone. It's not like a huge boulder or a massive rock. So there's a distinction there. Jesus is saying in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, you're a little stone. And on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, so he's not talking, they're two different words in the original language. He didn't say, your name is Peter, and on Peter, I'm going to build my church. We don't get that in, in the English translations. He's saying, Peter, you're a little rock. Your name means stone. But on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, so Jesus is going to build his church on this rock right here. No, I don't think that's the case either. I think it's on the rock of the statement of Peter's that he just made. What was Peter's statement? You are the Christ. See, it's on that kind of a statement that God builds his church. Because you can't be a part of God's church unless you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. That he is the king of all, the prophet, the priest. That he is the one that he answers to no one. He is God himself. He answers to no human being, right? And so we read verse 18 and then there's Peter. And I tell you, Peter, little rock, on this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell, even that dark passage over there, the gates to Hades, will not overcome it. Not all of these false gods put together are going to overcome my church. You want to make a note, Bible scholar, verse 18 right there. That's the first time that we see a very important word in the New Testament. And it's the word ecclesia, which is the word church. Right there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And do you see the possessive nature of that word church there? Jesus says, my church. It's not Jim's church. It's not your church. It's Jesus's church. So Jesus is saying that on the rock of the statement that Peter said, you are the anointed one. You are Christ. Jesus says, you've done well. You've said well. And on that, my church will be built. 
how do we know that Peter's not the one that uh, the church is built on? <laughs> because the Bible tells us many times that it's Jesus who is both the founder and the leader of the church. Ephesians 1, Here's a couple of verses here just for you. And he put all things, there's a lot of he's here. So let me fill this in here. If you read the rest of Ephesians 1, you'll understand. But it says, and he, God, put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave Jesus, him, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's not Peter's church. It's Jesus' church. In Colossians 1, 17 and 18, and he, this is again, Colossians 1 is speaking of Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body. What is the body? The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is above all. So Peter is not the leader of the church. Remember, he's just a little stone. I'm like a grain of sand trying to anoint somebody in an office. Like I'm stumbling and bumbling through the whole thing and God does his amazing work. So wait, what role do we play in this church? You get to be a stone too. Like a big one? You get to be part of the building blocks of the church here. Check it out. First Peter 2, 4 and 5. <clears throat> As you come to him, the hymn we're speaking of is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, that's Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church, the ecclesia, the assembly. Oh, what does ecclesia mean? It means a called out assembly. In other words, it's a group of people that have been called out for a specific purpose. Wow. Wow. So the church, as Jesus is describing it here, is a group of people that he's going to call out of the world that they may assemble together for a specific purpose. That's the church. That's the ecclesia. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. And we get to be stones that he uses in building his church. And upon this rock, upon this rock, will his church be built. You know... Um, for some of you, you know this. I haven't made a huge deal about this, but um, um, typically during the summer, the Thomas family will go away for like two weeks or so, two or three weeks. This year, we're going to be gone for three weeks, about three and a half weeks. What's happening is we are leaving immediately after second service. Like we're out of here, cars packed, like we're going. But we're heading to Arizona. We got family there and that's pretty typical for what we would do. So we're going to head out. Oh no, what's going to happen to the church? It's, here's what I expect. I expect... If I come back and you guys are in the exact same place spiritually, like we were just we were just kind of waiting for you to get back. Why? The most important person has not left. Jesus hasn't left. This is Jesus's church. If you put too much weight in any individual human being in a church, guess what? When they're not around, what happens? Does the church fall apart? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. We as a family will be going and we'll spend some time in Arizona. But then my son and I, Xander, my oldest son, Xander and I, we're going to be heading off to Brazil for two weeks on a missions trip. First time that I've ever taken any of my kids on a missions trip. And uh, it's with the church, Calvary Chapel of Prescott, that, that I was saved at. And the one where I told you that story about the oil and all that stuff. Um, there's going to be about 20 plus people that are 20, 25 people that are going to be leaving from there. And we're going to leave from there and go to Brazil for two weeks. We're going to go to San Paulo. San Paulo, San Paulo, 
And then we're going to go to Rio de Janeiro. So we're going to spend a week in each of those places. Um, the, the door of ministry that's open for us is that we speak English. I'm so glad because I don't speak Portuguese. But Andre is coming. Where is Andre? Where is Andre? There's Andre. Andre is coming as well. And uh, you have a dual citizenship too, right? Yep. He just happens to have a dual citizenship for Brazil. And, and he's fluent Portuguese. He can speak Portuguese fluently. So I'm just like, <gasps> so Andre's coming as well. And we're really excited about that. So if you haven't been here before at the Tellers Christian Fellowship, it's been, you know, you're newer here. Whenever I'm not here, we do the best we can to try to get a video announcement up and just go, hey, from wherever we're at, right? So you're going to see a few of them, Lord willing, from Brazil, just filling you in. And I'm going to get Andre in on at least one of them, speaking a little Portuguese and, uh, Maybe do a little translation there, what's going on. But just so that you guys could get a sense of what's going on. But that, all that to be said. Well, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, men's breakfast is Tuesday morning. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be praying for you guys. Have a great time. Have a great time. Oh, well, no. You know, there's some places, there's some churches where it's like, oh, pastor's gone? Cool. Well, I don't need to, I'm not going to go to church for a couple of weeks because he's not going to know that I'm not there. <laughs> If you're coming to church because of me, then you've already whacked in the head because like, that's not why you should be coming to church. Too much oil. <laughs> oh man. When I go back to Arizona, I'm telling you, I'm going to go back. Somebody's going to be like, oil change? I'm like, ha ha, very funny. They still remember that story. So um, I expect the church to move forward. I mean, there's, I mean, there's everything from physical projects being done at the church, the buildings being repainted and sightings being put on and you know, we've got men's events happening. Guys, there's like a hundred people coming to the baseball game on Wednesday. Have a blast. Wait, but you're not going to be there. I'm going to be thinking about you. Have a great time. Do you understand that as a church, you follow Jesus? Jesus is not going anywhere. Follow Jesus. And so when I come back, I'm excited to hear stories. Like if you're like, hey, what happened? What's, how have things been with you and the Lord? Oh, I don't know. Like July has just been, I don't know. What a waste. Like, knock it off. Like, grow with Jesus. He's leading you someplace. Go. So we're going to have um, Pastor uh, Joe's going to be sharing. We got John's going to be sharing as well. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Ice, his dad is... Uh, um, da- or David Ice is going to be sharing. He's the son of Dan Ice, the senior pastor of Calvary Eureka. So David uh, is going to be sharing for me as well here. So there's going to be a couple guys coming. Oh, Pastor Jim's not going to be here, so I'm just going to wait till he... Again, if you're coming to hear me speak, you did hear about the oil, right? How that all worked out, right? (laughs) Remember, it's God working through a person. And if you're willing to hear the Lord, God could speak through, wow, any number of people. I just encourage you to pray for those that will be speaking and be sharing the word with you in the next couple weeks. Be praying for them. And I'm just so blessed that they'll be doing that. And um, this church, you guys... And what church are you talking about, Jim? I'm not talking about this local body. I mean the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus is a global church. When I go to Brazil, I'm going to run to people where I'm not going to be able to speak their language. I'm not going to be able to speak Portuguese. And some I'm not going to be able to communicate, but they're going to be my brother and my sister. And we're going to be part of the same church. They're going to be a living stone who acknowledges that Jesus is the anointed one. We are part of a huge family. Christian, you are not alone. You are not alone. We're going to leave verse 19 and 20 in the rest of the chapter for when I get back in a couple of weeks here. But um, I leave you with the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say that I am? The answer to that question should affect the way you live your life. It should affect 
the way you speak to people. It should affect the way you treat people. If you realize that you have a king above you who's above all else, it should affect the way that you live your life. Let Jesus, the King of Kings, work in your heart. Let's pray. Worship team's going to come on up. Papa, thank you that your word is true. Thank you for sharing in a few verses here the testimony of a man named Peter. As he's asked a straightforward question, he gives a straightforward and solid answer. We pray that that question would echo in our hearts. Who do we say you are? Jesus, who do we say you are? I pray for us that are believers, that are your children, that are your living stones building up the body of Christ, the church. I pray that we would not start taking opinion polls from people in this world on how we determine the way we live our life and we determine what right or wrong is. Rather, I pray that we would come right to you, the source of all truth. Lord, help us have discernment as we navigate through this world because the voices of this world are loud and they try to be very persuasive and they even try to make us feel bad if we don't line up with the majority. God, you are the majority. What you say is true. You are always right. You have never been wrong and you never will be. Holy Spirit, we pray each of us for that discernment. And I pray for those here that are still seeking after you, who admire you, Jesus, who think you're a nice guy and that you said some nice things and you have some good life principles. Lord, I pray for them that they would realize that Jesus, what you are looking for is that people would bow the knee to their king. You're not looking for people that have you as their pal only, but you are the king of all kings. You were the one that was told about before the beginning of time. So we pray for each one of us now. Jesus, you're the holy and you're the anointed one. We love you. Thank you for being the head of the church. And thank you that the church is safe and secure in your arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.